Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see everybody back after a uh, snowy day last Sunday. Sorry that we had to uh, postpone our services, but it was just one of those things. We wanted to make sure everybody was going to be safe. A um, couple of things before I get started. First of all, um, my apologies to anyone who has their uh, annual report uh, in their hands right now or going to get them from their box. Uh, the pastor failed to save a file before he sent it. Um, so there's uh, the, the one page that has like all of the attendance information, all of the, the numbers on that part of the report are not correct. So I'm going to fix those and get them to you next week. Uh, also send them out via email. Um, also, uh, I've had uh, several people approach me uh, to talk about baptism. Uh, we've not had a baptism here at Morning Hour Chapel since I uh, started here almost five years ago. Um, and I'm very excited to hear that some folks are, are asking to be baptized. On the uh, first weekend of February, uh, we're going to have a, uh, just a brief meeting right after church uh, to talk to anyone who's interested in uh, pursuing baptism, to learn what it's about, um, and also to see if we can set up a uh, Sunday where we can uh, perform those baptisms. Um, and um, also, uh, Bob had mentioned, and we've seen a lot of information coming out about the uh, annual meeting, and there are a lot of new people here uh, this year. So I uh, just want to give you just really, really briefly, our annual meeting is the time when we... Um, discuss what has happened in the past year, the, the, the things that the church has gone through, the things that the church has accomplished uh, through God's help over the past year, and also to set the stage for 2024. 20, uh, uh, and one of those things that we do is we talk about um, our vision, we talk about our budget, um, and uh, we have certain positions in the church that we vote on. And if you are a member of Morning Hour Chapel, you're eligible to vote uh, on those things. But anybody is uh, able to come and be at the meeting. And it's really a good opportunity to learn uh, not only what the church has been doing, but what the church is planning to do uh, in the future. So I'd really love it if you could put that on your calendar, January 28th, right after church. Uh, we're going to have a, a, just a very light lunch up in the uh, fellowship hall, and then we'll come back in here. Um, I think last year we finished the meeting in an hour, uh, just over an hour. So it's not a whole lot of time, but I really uh, encourage you to uh, try to attend that. The picture that you see is Dr. Ifeanyi Chinedozi. I'm going to try not to say that too many more times this morning. He was born in Nigeria. Um, he attended the Tufts University School of Medicine in Boston and is currently a surgical resident of the University of Maryland and is also the Join Kuhn's Postdoctoral Research Fellow in Cardiac Surgery at Johns Hopkins Hospital down in Maryland. Dr. Chinadozi also leads a ministry called Healing Vessels International, which brings the, uh, the, the concept of medicine and the prayer of faith together for people in need. And when he was seven years old, uh, he was, he was told uh, by his pastor that he had a gift for healing um, and, and for faith healing. 
And in 20, uh, 2007, when he was in high school, uh, a family sought his help. Uh, their mother had, had died. Uh, she was declared brain dead. So she was still on machines. She was still in the hospital. And they came to ask him to pray that she would be raised up. And he didn't, he didn't want to do this because he had tried to uh, raise someone uh, who was brain dead before and, and had failed. He didn't think that that was his uh, gift. But finally he agreed and he prayed over a bottle of olive oil for them. And he says, I lifted it up and said, Father, let this represent me and be unto this girl and her family as their faith has demanded in the name of Jesus Christ. And he handed the bottle to the family. He wasn't going to go to the hospital. That's why he said, let this represent me and be unto this girl, according to the family's faith. And they rushed out and went to the hospital. Um, again, he didn't go, but he heard later that the woman's daughter poured the entire bottle of olive oil onto this woman while they were praying over her. And he said the woman coughed and opened her eyes. And a little bit later, the family gave a party to celebrate her recovery. And of course, Dr. Chinadozi was present. And I thought, what a wonderful example of the power of prayer to heal. And we hear some of these stories about miraculous healings, things that, that don't make any sense. This is Amy Carmichael. She was a missionary to India at the turn of the 20th century. And she once described an event where she learned of her coworker contracting cancer. And she had her church pray, and uh, she and her church also prayed that God would send someone who was earnest about this prayer of faith, this healing prayer, to come and to help her friend. And an old friend of hers came to the place, and according to her biography, things unfolded like this. She said it was a solemn meeting around the sickbed, the women dressed as usual in their heirloom saris, but white ones for this occasion. They laid a palm branch over her bed as a sign of victory and accepted whatever answer God might give, certain that whether it was to be physical healing or not, he would give victory and peace. It sounds like a simple formula. It was an act of faith but certainly accompanied by the anguish of doubt and desire which had to be brought again and again under the authority of God. From that very day, the woman grew worse. The pain increased and her eyes grew dull as she lingered in, for days in misery until she reached her limit and her warfare was accomplished. And we hear this account and I think if we're completely honest with ourselves, we can't help but wonder, well, why did the prayer of faith not work for this woman? This woman was a missionary in India. She was serving children, homeless children in India. And these people came together and prayed over her. Why did the woman in Nigeria get healed and the woman in India did not. And as believers, I think if, if we're completely honest with ourselves, we have probably 
thought to ourselves. We have probably prayed for other people, for their healing. And we have experienced those times when people have been healed through the power of God, a miraculous healing. And we have experienced those times when the person didn't get better. Maybe they got worse. They died. And if we're completely honest with ourselves, we question why. I felt like my faith was, was pretty strong when I was praying for my mother to recover after she was hospitalized for three months, after a, a major surgery. But she just got worse and worse and she died. And we have to wonder, what, what is this all about? And today we're finishing our sermon series on what to expect when you're Christianing. And we've been going through the New Testament book of James. And James uh, finishes up uh, his book in chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 13 to 20 this morning. And James starts off this section of this uh, letter like this. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And James starts this part of the letter talking about prayer. He's been telling us all kinds of things about what we are supposed to do, how we're supposed to act as Christians. And now he's talking about prayer. And the very first thing that he says, if we read this passage all the way through, is that we ought to be communicating with God no matter what is happening in our lives. If we are suffering and things are going badly for us, we should pray. If things are going well for us, we should praise God with our prayer and our song. This is the first thing that James says. But we're not called to pray just at certain times. This, is, this passage is telling us we should be in an attitude of prayer always. Things are going great, pray. Things are not going great, pray. Things are going even, pray. And a Christian's life should be this unending communication with God. And maybe it's not always we're saying words to God, but this attitude of prayer, this attitude that God is communing with us all the time is where we should live. The Apostle Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. And he's not talking about being on our knees 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that's all we do is pray. That's not what he means. He's saying that Christians' entire attitude should be one of prayer. And we have to get away from this notion that prayer is just another activity. It's just another practice. It's a, just another thing to check off our list. All right, I've woken up, check, went to the bathroom, check, brushed my teeth, check, prayed for 10 minutes, check, read my Bible for 10 minutes, check. Now it's time to go to work. Prayer should be permeating our whole existence. Communication with God should be our norm. It should be the thing that we do all the time. And another question that we can ask ourselves here, when James says, uh, is anyone among you suffering, let him pray, we get that. How many of you have been suffering and you pray? God help me through this suffering. God heal me. God 
Take away this person who's really annoying me at the office. Right? Whatever we're going to pray, when we're, when we're having a bad time, we pray. But how many of us, if we're being completely honest with ourselves, how many of us and how often do we praise God for giving us the talent to be successful or to give us the, the ability uh, to achieve whatever it is that we achieve. And, and we're, we're a sports family, a high school sports family, and we have a son that plays football. We have a son that, plays, uh, that does track and field. And oftentimes, I have to stop and think to myself, God gave him that ability. God gave him the ability to do these things. And we should be praising him for that. But how often do we act like it's our own efforts? How often do we act like it's our own abilities, it's our own, uh, I practice really hard, I do all of these things, I eat right, I exercise, I, and it's all me, me, me. Without thanking God that we have the ability even to breathe, let alone tackle a 250-pound lineman We really need, and, and I am as guilty or, or maybe more guilty, I don't know, of this as anybody, but we need to examine our relationship with God the Father. We need to examine this idea that God is with us all the time, that we can and should communicate with Him all the time through every single thing i think about when you know our kids come and they tell us like complain about something that's happening at school or something that's happening at work or they come and they tell us this wonderful this great thing that that they learned or this great thing that they did and we listen don't we parents we listen to these things we're involved with our children's lives and that is what god wants for us he wants to be involved in our lives. We should be talking to Him. We should be praying to Him when things are bad, praising Him when things are good, and in an attitude of prayer always. Because God is not a genie, which is what some people use Him for. God, I wish I had this job. And if I don't get this job, maybe you don't exist. God, I want you to heal this person. If you don't heal this person, well then, maybe you're just a hateful God. You're a vengeful God and you don't care about me. This is, these are things that I have heard people say when their prayers aren't answered because they act like God is just this person who's supposed to, you know, you go up to the bank teller and you give them your slip and they give you your money. Right? This person that just does everything that you want. Not realizing, not understanding that God has a perfect plan and that everything is under God's control. And because we can commune with God, we can communicate with Him always. Whether He answers our prayer or not is not the question. 
He will always answer you. It's just that sometimes you won't like the answer. Sometimes you won't appreciate the answer because sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is not right now. You're not ready for that yet. And sometimes the answer is yes. But when we get into this constant communication with God, we can start to understand more when the answer is no or when the answer is wait or not yet. And James continues in uh, verses 14 to 15, and, and he's, he's talking about healing, and this, these stories uh, come into play here. Uh, he says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And in these two verses, James is kind of writing us a prescription for healing. But very often we don't follow this prescription. How many of us have been sick? Anybody? Like, not like coughs and sniffles and things like that, you know, seasonal allergies. I'm talking about like really being sick, right? You've had COVID. You've had the flu. You've had some serious thing that, you know, you could, if untreated, you could die. Those are the things I'm talking about. And all of us have been sick at some point in our lives. Some of us have been really, really sick. And I want you to think about this. When was the last time you were sick? Or maybe you're sick right now. Think about that time. And now ask yourself this question. Did you call for the elders of the church? Did you allow them to pray for you? Did you allow them to anoint you with oil in the name of Jesus Christ? Because that's the prescription that James is giving here. And this sounds like, this sounds weird to a lot of modern Christians. This sounds like an antiquated practice. This sounds like something that weirdos do. Having somebody come and put oil on us and pray for us to be healed. And let's be honest, we read stories all the time in the news of people who have this kind of faith relationship with God where they are praying for healing and they don't go to the doctor and people say well they're acting irresponsibly the very first thing you should do is go to the doctor James is saying the very first thing you should do is call for the elders of the church and allow them to come and pray for you and anoint you with oil in the name of Jesus Christ I saw a friend uh, the other day posted on a social media uh, thing asking for prayer for healing and many of the social media folks, you know, obviously, they, yes, we're, we're, we're praying for you. I've had, I've had other friends, please send prayers and good vibes. Or please send prayers and, or whatever else you do to put out positive energy into the world so that I can be healed. You ever see those? I've seen them, even from Christians. And I have no doubt that there are people in their friend list who go and they say, you know, I'm praying for you, and they'll pray for them. I have no doubt that that happens. But what I do doubt 
has happened is that that person has called on the elders of the church and allowed them to come and pray for them and anoint them with oil in the name of Jesus Christ. It's just something for some reason that Christians don't do anymore. And we have to wonder why. Because this is James' instruction. First, call on the elders of the church. And we think, oh, well, we don't want to bother anybody. It'll be okay. I'll just go to the doctor and take a pill and it'll be fine. We don't want to be a nuisance. We don't want to be an inconvenience. They are so busy, they don't have time to come and pray for little old me. That's pride talking. We don't want to have people see us in vulnerable states. We don't want to have people see us sick. We don't want to have people see us weak. So we try to do everything ourselves. We'll send out that social media blast. Please pray for me. When what we are supposed to be doing as Christians is calling for the elders of the church. And the elders of the church are, are the pastor, the deacons, anybody who has a mature walk of faith. These are the elders of the church. And you don't have to call all of them. Call some of them. That's James' first instruction. When you call for the elders, it tells me two things. It tells God two things, and it tells the elders two things. First of all, it means that you're saying that you believe that God can heal you. I'm going to follow this scriptural instruction because I believe that God will heal me, or at least that he can heal me. This should not be a last resort kind of thing. I've gone to all the doctors and I've tried all of the medicines and I've gone to acupuncture and I've tried all of these mystic practices from the East and nothing has worked and I'm still sick. I guess I'll give God a try. And this is what happens. We give God a try and that's not how it ought to be. The first thing we ought to be doing is giving God the opportunity through our elders to hear our prayer of faith. Step two, James says, is to allow the elders to pray for us, anointing us with oil. That means you're going to let the elders into your house or into your hospital room. You're going to allow them to be present. This is an important part of the healing prayer is that it doesn't happen at a distance. It happens when people are there with you, laying their hands on you, anointing you with oil. You're allowing this to happen because you have faith that God can heal you. Now, after the elders come, after they pray for you, your healing may not be immediate. It may be God's will that you go to see a doctor. It may be God's will that you take a medicine that God wants you to take in order to be healed. And that's why God created medicine. That's why God 
gave the ability to certain people to understand the human body. But we should always start with prayer. We should always start in stepping out in faith to God. And if we're going to be completely honest with ourselves, sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says, it is not for you to be healed. The Apostle Paul one time wrote about this thorn in his side. He said that he prayed to God three times to have this thorn in his side removed. And it wasn't a literal thorn, but we believe it was some sort of illness, some sort of sickness. And God said, no, three times. And Paul said it was because God wanted Paul to rely on him. Paul, he, he wanted Paul to be reminded that he was in a relationship with him. And we find that to be cruel sometimes. We find that not to be the answer that we like. But then we're forgetting again that God has a perfect plan. And we can't see it. How many of you have ever looked at a, at, at a piece of uh, tapestry, a piece of art, and it's been like intricately woven? And that's what God is doing. He's intricately weaving this story. The problem is we're not looking at it from God's perspective. We're looking at it from the back. Have you ever looked at a piece of tapestry from the back? It looks like a mess. It's just string, thread, whatever, everywhere. And, some, and, and it's just, it's, it's chaos. To us, it's not chaos to God. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he wants to accomplish through everything that we go through. Now, I'm going to say this. Some of the things that we go through are of our own making. Some of the things, especially the bad things that we go through, are because we're not in relationship with God and we're making decisions for ourselves and we're doing things that God doesn't want us to do and we're facing the consequences of those things. But God will work even through that. God will work even through your bad decisions to make his plan whole. James says something else interesting here. He says, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And in fact, the rest of this passage is talking not about healing physical ailments, but healing, healing spiritual ones. So verse 16 says, therefore, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And some of you don't recognize that verse because it's not in the King James. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That is how I learned it growing up. But it's the same thing. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. It is effectual as it is working. And we get the praying for each other down really, really well. How many of you have confessed 
your sins to another person. That's a hard one. We can pray for people all day long. Hey, I'll be praying for you. We pray for people when, when, when Wendy and I are praying together. I pray for people when I'm, when I'm praying by myself. Yes, I'm praying for you. That's the easy part. When's the last time I went up to somebody and said, you know what? I have to confess that I've wronged you in some way. You might not even know about it. But I talked badly about you behind your back. I did something so that you couldn't have the thing that you wanted to have. I made that happen so that you couldn't have it. I acted in a way that was against you and against God. That's what James is talking about here. When he says, confess your sins to one another, he's not talking about, at least I don't think he's talking about, having a time during the church service where everybody has the opportunity to come up to the microphone and confess all of the sins that they have committed this week. Although I think that would be an interesting uh, experiment to do in church. Uh, anybody willing? Wow, nobody, okay. But that's not what James, I don't think that's what James is talking about here. James is talking about the same thing that Jesus uh, talked about when he was talking about us forgiving the sins of other people and having people forgive our sins. See, J uh, Jesus in uh, Matthew chapter 5, he was teaching, this was the Sermon on the Mount, he was teaching his disciples, and he uh, says this. He says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, you have sinned against him, and he has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. Ask your brother for forgiveness. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And of course, we're at the altar. We're offering a gift to God. This is what Jesus taught. And then a chapter later, half a chapter later, Jesus teaches us how to pray. And what is part of that prayer? Forgive us our sins as we Forgive those who sin against us. So Jesus, in the, in the span of maybe a few minutes of sermon time, has said, you need to go and ask forgiveness and be reconciled to people that you have wronged, and you need to forgive them when they have wronged you. That's the cycle. And Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 18, we read about how uh, we are supposed to deal with sin in the church. And the very first thing Jesus says is if somebody has something against you or if you have wronged somebody else, first go to that person and ask forgiveness or give forgiveness. And if that happens, you're done. You're reconciled, move on. If that doesn't happen, Jesus doesn't say, well, blab it all over the church, gossip about it. He says, Take two or three other people with you as witnesses as you go to confront this person. As you go to ask forgiveness or as you go to receive forgiveness. Because let's be honest, sometimes we don't want to give forgiveness even though somebody has asked for it. And this is the same thing that Jesus is talking about. 
take two or three other people with you as witnesses. Show the person that you've wronged or the person who has wronged you that you are serious about reconciliation. And this is what James is talking about. Confess your sins to one another. It's about our relationships. Our relationships to each other. And trust me, I have said this many, many times in the past. I know some of you have said this many, many times in the past. It's nobody's business what my sins are except that they're between me and God. Nobody else has to know what I've done wrong. Yes, they do. If you have done wrong against another person. Because God is about relationship. God is about not just our relationship with him, but our relationship with one another. That's why the two great commandments are love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And this, this, this whole passage, this is a rough, hard passage for a lot of Christians to wrap their heads around, let alone to live. But these are the things that we are called to. James is telling us that unless we seek healing in our relationships with one another, it's unlikely that we will experience healing in our relationship with God. Jesus said, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And right after that, he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the next words are not, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The very next words are, for if you forgive, your Father in heaven will forgive you. If you don't forgive, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. Those are the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 6. You can look them up. God is deeply, deeply interested in our relationship with one another just as much as he is concerned about our relationship with him. And James here, he's talking about physical healing. He's talking about spiritual healing. And he ends his chapter his, and, and his whole letter like this. He says, my brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the culmination. These last two verses are the summary of everything that James has written for five chapters. And it's all about relationship. And this is not to say we get to go and judge people. We're not judging people. We will point out, though, that they are not acting in a way that God, in his scripture, tells us to act. And we're talking about Christians here. We're not talking about people who don't know God. We're talking about the church. And it is crucial that we watch out for each other. It is crucial that if we see a brother or a sister 
falling into something that is going to keep them from relationship with God, that we point that out to them. And they will not like us for it. But the hope is that our prayer of faith, our prayer can then be Holy Spirit, convict this person, bring him back to the Father. Because we don't want to see that person lost. James knows he's writing to Christians who live in, in strange lands with strange customs, and these customs are in opposition to the will of God. And he knows that these Christians are facing decisions about living life in this culture, just like we are today. Think of the decisions, think of the things we have to decide to do or not do that the culture is pressuring us into. Everything that James writes, he could be writing to us on January 14th, 2024. James gives us magnificent instruction, biblical instruction, Jesus-centered instruction. Be doers of God's word. Jesus said that. Be doers of God's word, which is able to save your soul. The word of God is able to save your soul. Care for widows and orphans in their affliction. Jesus did that. Show no partiality, but love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus instructed that. Demonstrate your faith through your works. Think of all of the works that Jesus did in the three years that he was ministering. Control your tongue and in meekness seek wisdom from God. I think that might be one of the reasons that Jesus went off to solitary places to pray. Because he might have had some ideas about things that he wanted to say to these people. Things that were still godly, things that were still scriptural, but things that might not have seemed able to bring them back to God. Things that would not be said in meekness. James writes to forsake friendship with the ways of the world that do not conform to what we know to be godly living. And here at the end, James says, when one of us wanders into one of these traps of the world, these enticements that cause us to turn our backs on God in favor of not offending somebody. In favor of making our lives easier. James is saying that when one of us wanders into those enticements, that we ought to make every effort to bring them back. We ought to make every effort to share God's word with them and tell them this is what God wants from us and this is not what you're doing and we can do that in love and we can do that in gentleness and meekness and kindness but we
we still have to do it. And this is why it's so hard, because I'm looking at faces here, and I know most of you hate confrontation. A couple of you love confrontation. Most of you hate confrontation. We don't like it. It makes us uncomfortable. I don't want to be uncomfortable. If James has taught us anything through his letter, it's that the Christian life is not always comfortable. It is not always easy. But how worthwhile is it? How worthwhile is it to live a life that is completely pleasing to God, in communion with God, in communication with God at all times, taking care of our neighbors, loving our neighbors? And because we do that, we have the promise of eternal life with God the Father. James's instruction is not easy. His teaching is not simple. And the world is going to try to get you to abandon it because they don't understand it. Over the next several weeks, we're going to actually go through a series of messages that talk about some of the ways that the world tries to get us to abandon who God is, to abandon our relationship with Him. And there are some people that would put God on trial. Of course, 2,000 years ago, they did put God on trial. And we'll be talking about that too. But for now, I want to encourage you. Don't Fall for the easy way. Fall for the way that leads to eternal life. Look to Jesus Christ when things are hard. Look to Jesus Christ when Satan is trying to infiltrate our church. Look to Jesus Christ when people are telling us, well, you can't say those things. You can't talk like that. You can't act like that. You can't believe like that. Choose the way of God the Father. Be doers of God's Word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Have an attitude of constant communication with God. Practice right relationships with one another. Those are the things that I pray for this congregation every day. And I hope that you're praying them too. Because if we do, God will strengthen us. He will give us the full armor of God. He will lead us to eternal life. And He will allow us to help lead others to eternal life. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come before you today completely humble, knowing that 
our lives are not always pleasing to you. Knowing that there are things that we do, there are things that we accept that are unacceptable to you. Knowing that we live in a world and in a culture that is trying to get us to abandon you completely. But Father, you knew that that would happen. You wrote in your scripture that there would be a great falling away of Christians. Father, strengthen us. Let us take the words of James to heart. Let us do your word. Let us love you and love our neighbor as ourselves. And let us protect one another from all of the things that Satan will throw against us. Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that through him we have forgiveness of our sins and that we can know eternal life. Father, we just thank you. In his name, amen. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. God bless you this week.